The Pod Connect Studios, high in the Rockies, at the beautiful Beaver Creek Resort. This is a special cannabis crowdfunding episode of The Raising Cannabis Capital Show. Today on Raising Cannabis Capital, we are continuing our cannabis crowdfunding series with Tommy Gibbons, the co-founder of Hempatecture. Tommy, welcome to the show. Welcome, Dan. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to share the story here. Well, I've been really looking forward to having you on because of all the campaigns that we've featured, yours by far appeals to the largest audience, whether you're looking to invest in hemp, cannabis, or building materials, or even if you're concerned about the environment, you're going to want to listen closely to today's show because it really touches on everything. Tommy, before I pass the ball off to you, let me try to tee this one up a little bit. If you've ever been in your attic or watched a new home being built, you're probably familiar with that pink stuff. And that's insulation. And its main job is supposed to keep your house warm. So Tommy, we've been using this pink stuff forever. Why do we change? Hmm. Well, we change because we finally know what these building products do to our environment and where they come from. I think in the 50s and 60s, when we were choosing how to build homes, whether it was drywall or fiberglass insulation or plywood and OSB, we used materials that were readily available, people knew how to work with and were cheap. And now there's like a whole moment of reckoning in the built environment that's, okay, where does that building product come from and what is the embodied carbon used to produce it? It's almost like we need a nutrition label for our building products. And so that's it gives a great opportunity for low carbon building products, mostly anything that's made from industrial hemp, to really enter the stage and be a high performing, easy to use alternative to the conventional high embodied carbon building products. Yeah, I love that. It's like having the food label on the side of your building materials. One thing you didn't say is that a lot of this stuff ends up in landfills or garbage dumps, and it just stays there, right? Correct. Fiberglass is made from sand uh, or recycled glass, and mineral wool is made from basalt fibers, and then spray foam or like a a rigid foam, styrofoam insulation board. Those are petroleum-based products. So all of these do not have an easy end-of-life use, whereas hemp wool is coming from a natural fiber, and it could be returned to a landfill to easily biodegrade and return to the soil. So when you're looking at the life cycle analyses of these materials from start to finish, anything that's using plants like our hemp products usually comes out far ahead than the petroleum-based substitutes. Yeah, it only makes sense. When I, and I would suspect, I don't know this for, for fact, but I'm just going to guess that breathing or living in a home that has some of these synthetic materials is probably not the best thing for your long-term health. No. And I think there's more evidence coming out to support that as well. We leave the hemp pool exposed in our office. And so we work next to it every day. That's completely non-toxic. The fibers aren't abrasive. You could touch it without an issue. Whereas we look at spray foam, the people installing that are basically wearing full hazmat suits for PPE to protect themselves from the hydrofluorocarbon blowing agent. And yeah, maybe that goes away after two days, or maybe that contributes to sick house syndrome, which a lot of the customers that come to us with chemical sensitivities have specifically said, I don't want a material that's prone to off-gassing or emitting VOCs in my home. 
what do you have to offer that's a natural substitute? And enter hemp wool. Yeah, so hemp wool is our trademark name for a hemp fiber bat insulation product. So it fits directly in between the cavities of your framing, just like fiberglass or mineral wood. It comes in R values from R13 for a two by four wall to R28 for a two by eight wall. It's a pressure fit system, so it's very snug, easy to use. There's no chance for like burrowing or any types of rodents or pests to get into it. It's mold proof. So basically everything you'd want an insulation material to be able to do, this product does very well. And it's why we've been able to successfully grow sales so much over the past 24 months. It just seems like an automatic, everyone would be switching to this type of material. Is there a reason why it hasn't transitioned super quickly? Yeah, I would say so. United States is not the only one, but one of the few developed countries that does not have a hemp insulation manufacturing facility. So currently we are using an international manufacturer. We're the U.S. distributor. Our landed costs of the material are pretty significantly higher than your fiberglass alternatives. It's lower cost than some of the other sustainable natural fiber insulations on the market. But once we're able to onshore manufacture into the United States, we can reduce lead times, reduce costs, reduce our carbon footprint to fulfill a shipment. We expect to be much more competitive with the existing insulation materials on the market. It's, it is one of the challenges that the hemp industry has right now is there isn't an established infrastructure in place. And so a lot of the things that seem like that would be an automatic alternative is not because it's more expensive. Now, you're in the middle of the crowdfunding campaign hosted on WeFunder. Are you going to use some of the money to establish this infrastructure? Partially. We are debt financing the equipment to manufacture this insulation, but we will be using some of the funds raised through equity to grow awareness, hire our sales team, as well as some buffer capital for commissioning the facility and ordering inventory and materials up front so that we can just progress right into producing as soon as the equipment lands. We've already put down payments on the equipment to start the manufacturing timeline, and it should be here arriving in the United States within six months or so. Well, I'm on your WeFunder campaign page now, and I see you guys are just killing it. (laughs) It's very impressive how well you've done in such a short period of time. Can you share some of the details of your campaign? Like what's the minimum and also why you selected crowdfunding over venture capital and and why WeFunder over other sites? Yeah, Dan, those are really good questions. And we are very happy with this choice to do equity crowdfunding. Right now, we have over 700 investors, nearly 1.9 million reserved in our testing the water stage. And so many great conversations have been generated from this campaign of people reaching out who are in the industry, who are in the hemp industry, who are in the finance industry, wanting to see this project happen and wanting to be in our camp. And it was like a complete 180 from conversations with venture capitalists or institutional investors that maybe didn't necessarily see this vision or wanted someone else to be the first person to put money in or really need to do an intense amount of diligence while we were trying to run our company and serve our customers. We didn't really have time to spend an hour and a half explaining the difference between hemp and cannabis to every single VC investor that came into our inbox. Yeah. And, and this way, we had reverse inquiry. People reached out to us saying, hey, are you a publicly traded company? Are you going to IPO? Are you a penny stock that I can somehow invest in? And the answer was always, no, we're not open to retail or really any investment at that point. So when it came time to take our first investors, we were like, let's do something that we can bring in our customers, 
bring in our grassroots movement of people that have supported us to get to this point. And then they can be our evangelists. They can be our brand ambassadors. And we can put the story in one great place and they can have access to it. And the terms are even for everybody. And it just seemed like a much more wholesome and inclusive way to go about raising capital than closed door meetings with rich people who were managing other rich people's money and only they were going to get a chance to invest in hempitecture. That's not how we wanted to do it. Yeah, I love that. I love that whole aspect of it. Like you said, you have 700 people out there rooting for you to succeed. What can be better? There are other sites available. Why WeFunder over some of the other sites? What did you like about working with them? Yeah, we did diligence on a few different platforms. WeFunder's been around basically the longest, has the most investment volume. There were other good platforms that were making compelling arguments as well. The WeFunder is just equity crowdfunding is their bread and butter. Some of these other platforms do like real estate lending and, and debt lending for startups. We want it to be very clear what we were offering. And they also actually had really good terms, right? So they weren't going to take equity in our company. They were just going to take a small amount of some of the amount raised and would just allow us to customize our page and just run with it. And that, that seemed a lot better than working with some other platforms that we're probably going to have different payment structures and not necessarily as much freedom as WeFunder was going to allow us on our campaign. It's, it seems like you're going in the right direction. And we have all the information on the campaign in the show notes. So if anyone's interested in checking it out, or in, it's currently live on WeFunder. But as you mentioned to me earlier, it's not going to be live for much longer because they're almost capped, which is crazy. You can get in for as little as $100. So your minimum investment, I believe, is $100. So if you're interested at all, I would say I recommend go to the site right now and be part of this movement. Tommy, this is really cool stuff. We'll have to have you back on once you get the facility built and you can tell everybody how things are going. Yeah, thanks, Dan. That will certainly be putting updates out there for our investors, letting them follow our progress. Not only do we view this as a great thing for Hempitecture, we view this as a great thing for people who want to learn about early stage investing, investing companies that they see promise in. And then they can follow our path, follow our journey, see what we do that works, see what we do that maybe doesn't work, and then ingrain that knowledge, that learned knowledge, and then apply it to other investments. Because that's how we get new products and new companies is we put capital towards them and, and energy towards them so that they can make better products into the future. Well, it's a great way to do it. And you're certainly setting a good example for everyone. So thanks again. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.